Hello everybody, my name is Daniel Emerson and I'm the Director of Global Education at Felsted School. Welcome once again to our sub-series of 10 podcasts that we are going to be delivering on the subject of global education and its impact around the world. Throughout the sub-series, we will be focusing on a broad range of global topics, all through the lens of professionals who have international scope within their work and daily lives, to try and unpack how global education, global competencies and character education have impacted their experiences so far. Today's guest is esteemed foreign correspondent and international journalist, Thomas Sparrow. Thomas is political and security correspondent at Deutsche Welle, Germany's international broadcaster, where he covers European news live on television in English, German and Spanish. He has covered various state and official visits, the global COVID-19 pandemic, the refugee crisis, terror threats and attacks in Europe, Brexit, and most recently, the Russian invasion of Ukraine. He's a frequent guest on news outlets around the world, including in Estonia, New Zealand, Australia, Canada, Nigeria, Ghana, the United States, the United Kingdom, Colombia, India, Vietnam, and South Korea. He previously worked as a correspondent for the BBC in Washington during the presidency of Barack Obama. He is also the co-author of three books on European politics and has featured as a guest speaker at Felsted and in other partner schools around the world. It is once again an absolute pleasure to welcome you. Thomas, how are you doing today? I'm very well and I'm also very happy to be talking about these issues that I actually feel very passionately about all these issues about having a, a global, having an international perspective, which I think is particularly important to understand the challenges that we are facing nowadays, not only in each one of our countries, but also internationally. So very, very happy to be joining you for this series. Thanks ever so much, Thomas. Um, I have a few questions that I'd like to run through with you. The first of which I'd like to talk about the way in which you've come up against some very difficult and contentious issues as a journalist. Where do you think you get the motivation and the courage to tackle these issues? And how did your education play a role in achieving that? I became a journalist basically because I loved or I love languages because I grew up in a very international environment. So I was always very interested in learning about other people, learning about other cultures, learning about other societies, but also because I am extremely curious as a person. I like being in touch with other people. And my education definitely played a role in all of those elements in my decision to become a journalist and then as a journalist in basically everything that I do when I'm reporting, whether it's talking to people who have migrated under difficult circumstances or who have survived a terror attack or people who are protesting on the streets And I think one of the elements that you learn when you have an international education is empathy. It's understanding that there are different views of, there are different ways of viewing the world, of understanding the world, and that your particular view, the one that you grew up with, the one that you believe is the one that most marked you, is not necessarily the only one. And as such, you can also learn from other ways in which people view the world. So curiosity has played an important role in my decision to become a journalist, but also this idea of empathy, of knowing that there are other ways in which people look at things 
and as such you can view them critically but you can also view them with respect and try and above all and understand them and in my case as a journalist to explain them then to audiences around the world so you mentioned things like empathy and compassion as being integral to your work thomas but those aren't necessarily um, aspects of what we teach and learn in a typical education format i'm thinking of um, what we do at felstead but also uh, the way that curriculum is delivered across the independent sector and also across the state sector, both in the UK and worldwide. Although we might talk about empathy and compassion, these aren't the things that we're able to measure really effectively um, as children are growing up. So could you perhaps give us some examples of um, what you might like to see more of when it comes to children thinking about empathy and compassion and how that might be important in their lives moving forward and the role that schools might play in delivering that? I do actually think, I mean, okay, it's not something that you may learn when you're in science class or in, I don't know, maths class, but it is something that is part of many school communities, this idea of, of having an international perspective of learning about, about empathy, of understanding that there are different ways of viewing the world, of trying to comprehend those different ways. So, Yes, it may not be part of a specific, specific curriculum, but I do firmly believe, and that's something that I, I've clearly seen as part of Around Square and my visits to different international schools, that this international environment that we are in is something that is very much active in schools. And that's also, by the way, something that I clearly saw in my own school. I grew up in an extremely international environment. My father is English, my mother's Colombian, but I went to a German international school so right from the start, I was very much exposed to this idea of internationalism, of uh, understanding that I'm part of a global community, that my reality in Colombia back then was not the only reality that I could very easily, in my case, uh, learn from different, different cultures and different societies. And when you ask what could be done, I think exposing students to different cultures as much as possible it doesn't have to be, again, specifically through the school curriculum, but it can be through extracurricular activities, it can be through excursions, it can be through exchanges. So basically, any activity that can help students and the school community to further develop that curiosity when it comes to understanding um, the world, I think, plays a very important role in helping those students to then once they are professionals in different areas in, and have different goals and different um, objectives, that they can then still take with them those international aspects and they can still say, okay, in my profession as a, I don't know, politician or in my profession as a scientist, I can still always understand this idea that I'm part of a global, that I'm part of an international community. So, it's certainly something that can still be further developed, but I do believe that exposure to the world plays a very important role in, in how kids are educated around the world and how they can understand these different realities and understand not only more about the world, but also in the process more about themselves. It's interesting to hear about the way that that's played a role in your career, uh, Thomas, as an international journalist. But again, when we're thinking about what or, or why people might choose an independent education, for example, if they're if, 
if, if they're in a position to be able to do that. The outcomes of that education are typically driven towards results, uh, examinations, in order to find the best route to the best university. So we're, we're sort of in a, in a system whereby focusing on how to pass an exam or uh, what universities might look for when it comes to intended outcomes for students who go through the schooling system look very, very different to the sorts of skill sets, ideas and understanding that we're talking about here. How might those two things uh, merge or is there a possibility to, to connect them, do you think? I do think there is a possibility to to connect them. I mean, it's obviously difficult to to change. You can't start changing all of a sudden all the structures that have been in place for a very long time. And I'm not saying that that should be should be changed, but you can work around that by again, for example, focusing on trying to give students in different environments the possibility of engaging with, let's say, different schools internationally or with different topics of international relevance or with different people who have been involved in important stories around the world from different perspectives, that might actually help students to, to let's say, grow their, enhance their curiosity to say, mm, I'm actually interested in this topic. I'll delve a bit further into this. And that can be, if you will, the, the seed that can then sort of begin step by step to grow into something that could then be a, a very international, very global perspective. It's not only about, about empathy. It's, it's really about understanding that we are part of an international community and that the challenges that we may face, for example, locally or nationally, can also be related very closely to something happening in you know, thousands of kilometers or miles away, understanding that we're part of something much bigger. And... I understand what you say that it's there are structures in place that there are examinations in place um, but there are also in my view other ways in which we can make sure that kids very young kids but also i say older students can can learn that idea of of being as international as possible even when it comes to dealing with local or national issues so i'm not saying that everyone now has to um, become or, or work in an international environment you can very much focus on doing something only for your local community. But even there, if we understand that the challenges that a local community is facing are not necessarily unique to them, and we look, for example, at ways in which other communities have dealt with that, have resolved those issues, then that in itself is part of understanding that we are, that we are a big part of an international community. You've covered many stories, uh, Thomas, on, on powerful and influential people within the world of, of politics. So the people responsible for shaping, indeed, all of those societies that you're talking about there. What are the key skills do you think that you've harnessed in order to, to conduct your job in the best possible fashion? So curiosity, which is something that I already mentioned, respect towards other views, and um, other priorities. So if I'm interviewing someone who has probably different views to the ones that I'm used to, or the ones that I defend, still doing all that and talking to those people with, with respect, listening very carefully, listening is something that we need to learn. It is not something that um, 
we often practice, but I think it's something that we should practice to maybe listen, to just not necessarily interrupt, to also enjoy those powerful moments where no one is talking uh, and just observe. So curiosity, respect, listening also. So basically developing all your senses so as to better understand the place that you're looking at or the context that you're studying. So it's not only about talking, talking, talking. It's also about listening, about smelling, about viewing very carefully. It's also about discovering and exploring. But I also think, and I, that's something that I often tell students, it's about the way in which you view things. There are different ways in which you can approach a topic, in which you can, for example, talk about populism in Europe or about security in Europe or about in, the, in recent times, also the war in, in Ukraine. And if you happen to come from an international environment or you happen to like an international environment and you've studied that and you've been, let's say, exposed to, that, to all this that we are talking about, you will tend to view things slightly differently. So when I, for example, look at German politics, which is what I do on a day-to-day -day basis, I tend to do that on the one hand from an outside perspective because I am not... German and my audiences are thousands of kilometers away in places like Ghana or Uganda or Tanzania. But at the same time, with sufficient local knowledge, because I happen to have lived in Germany now for over seven years. So it's about also developing a, a way in which way in which we view things. So you can view it from a very local perspective, you can view it from a national perspective, you can view it from an international perspective, you can try and understand things by taking a step back and broadening your spectrum. And all these kinds of, of skills, skills that you that I started to learn at school, at the German International School in, in Bogota, Colombia, but that I also further developed when I started studying journalism and then politics afterwards. So curiosity, developing your senses, always exploring topics with respect. So understanding that you're dealing with different views and at the same time when it comes to those views understanding how you're approaching a topic am i approaching it as someone who is personally involved in the story or can i take a step back and view it a little bit more objectively at least let's talk about some of those conflicting views uh thomas in a little bit more detail because you're 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 being very humble i think in um the way that you're addressing this it's it's not so much conflicting views in, um, you know, I, I prefer the color red to the color blue. This is um, some, of, some of the examples that, that come to my mind when thinking about the work you've done involve, for example, conflicting views about the war in Ukraine or conflicting views about um, the way that COVID-19 pandemic has been handled, conflicting views as well about things like migration, um, with regards to the coverage that you provided on the AFD. Um, and you've had to put yourself in very compromising situations as a journalist in order to be able to cover those from a neutral perspective, which is quite incredible. Can you go into a little bit more detail about how those skills you've, you've needed to harness have come into practice in those circumstances? So I've had to cover protests, for example, here in Germany, where I've had to actually go with bodyguards. It's not something that I feel very proud about, um, but it happens to be part of the reality that we're now living in. I'm talking about protests, for example, in 2015 um, by people who were very much against 
immigration to Germany or protests in the past few years um, by people who were very much against um, the coronavirus restrictions that were in place here in Germany and who were also in both cases against uh, most of the work done by journalists in the country. So they were calling us um, lying journalists or they were also in some cases threatening us or in some cases also attacking colleagues. I was not affected, but nevertheless, I found it a responsible way of working to say security is important and as such, we go with bodyguards to these kinds of protests. And whereas some of my colleagues, to just put it in a specific German context, would not necessarily sit down and talk to some of those people who are very much against um, independent journalism or against traditional journalism, if you will, or people who believe that the far-right party here in Germany should be banned from the German parliament or should not be even part of the political debate. My approach is slightly different. It's not a very popular approach among many people here in Germany, but it's one that I have nevertheless tried to do, and that involves actually talking to people. So in one of those protests, for example, in 2020, I actually decided to approach a family. Um, they identified themselves as so-called Reichsbürger, so they don't even believe in the legitimacy in the existence of the German state. And I happened to be talking about that in one of my reports, and I said, well, if I'm talking about that in one of my reports, the least I can do is actually talk to them and ask them. Um, they were not necessarily very friendly, so they didn't want to be on camera, they didn't want to be recorded, they didn't want to be part of, the, let's say of, the, of my reporting as such. But they did accept to sit down with me in the street and actually explain their views. It doesn't necessarily mean that I accept those views, but it means that I can at least understand them first before then reporting about them and presenting all the different aspects of that story. And the same, the same approach, for example, with the AFD, whereas some of my, I'm talking about the Alternative for Germany, so the far-right party in the German parliament, they entered the German parliament for the first time in 2017, and they're very much described as being far-right. In fact, they're being investigated by intelligence services um, to try and see whether there are indeed or to what extent there are um, far-right and in particular um, elements, there are people who, who are going against, let's say, German democracy and the rule of law. But in general, at least I try to talk to those people that understand their views and understand why they feel left aside, why they don't feel part of society, why they don't feel respected. I do not necessarily agree with their views. I do not present those views as being true. But I do present that as a view in Germany, which is then contrasted to, for example, what the German government says or what the majority of the population says. And at the same time, when you when you broadcast these issues, I always try and put them into context. So present as many views as possible, views that reflect society in general, but also put them into context. So if I'm covering a, a protest by people who are against the coronavirus restrictions in place, I can say, yes, there are, just to give you a, a number, 8,000 people here, but that is a minority in Germany. The, the majority does respect restrictions that have been put in place. So it's about all the issues that we've spoken about earlier. So respect, perspective, trying to understand. So first and foremost, I want to understand. Then I try and present as many views as possible. And afterwards, I also try and put it into context. 
and all that goes hand in hand with my personal um, sort of priority as a journalist, which is trying to be transparent. You present everything in a transparent way, so as ultimately your viewers, wherever they happen to be, can then make their own views and make their own opinions about the topic that we're discussing. Well, it's a, a huge number of skill sets that you need to uh, to develop over time in order to get to that point, Thomas, and, and your work in, as a journalist is truly admirable. When thinking back to your, your days at school and, and learning um, in order to develop some of those skills from an educational perspective, you were, of course, uh, raised in a, in a bilingual household, which I imagine was a huge advantage, and then you went to a, a school speaking German um, as well. Um, but what might you say to, to students around the world who are in a monolingual uh, household, for example, or do not have access to um, or, do not, or have not had experience with foreign languages um, and so that doesn't come to them so instinctively? Is it ever too late to learn um, a, a new language? Because, of course, uh, you know, we're talking about different perspectives here and language is, is often a key to understanding uh, multiple perspectives. What are your thoughts on the importance of language and whether or not it's too late to learn and develop skills through that specific channel? It is never, never, never too late to learn anything. Um, in fact, I would very much say that we should be lifelong learners. Um, I love also talking to people who may be over 60 and who are at university trying to learn something new. It's never too late to start learning something. And I also think you don't need to come from a bilingual household or be in an international school to develop an international perspective. There are many ways in which you can do that. And thankfully, our world today is so globalized and so open in many respects, which has its downsides as well. But in this particular case, it does provide an opportunity for people who may not necessarily have the opportunity to be in a bilingual household or in an international school to really develop some of these skills that we have been discussing. And it, it can all begin by, for example, using your mobile phone in a different way. So if you happen to think that you're interested in international topics, then you can download apps or watch programs or watch series that can really sort of explain some of those international perspectives. If you're interested in Europe, you can watch a documentary on Europe, or you can try and follow some of the news stories that are happening in Europe at the time. I'm pretty sure that in most countries around the world, there are opportunities to also talk uh, or, or join, let's say, events in your city about different international issues. So I think it's, it's not necessarily something that comes from, from outside. It's not necessarily something that comes because you happen to be in an international household or an international school. It is also something very much that, that happens inside, inside yourself. Are you interested in developing that international perspective? Also, when you're, for example, in school, then you'll find ways of doing it, even if you don't come from an international household. I'm not saying we all have to develop an international view. I very much respect also those who say, and I've got plenty of colleagues and, and friends who really want to focus only on their local, who say, who say that actually this international perspective may be very good and interesting, but that it might help societies more if you happen to know your own small town or city so good that you can then understand the challenges actually to the core. Whereas in my case, 
doing things internationally, they tend to be a bit more sort of general, generic. And so that's why I'm saying I favor the international perspective because I also feel very passionately about it. But I can perfectly also understand friends or colleagues who say, look, I'm really not interested in what's happening 10,000 miles away. I really prefer to focusing on what's happening one mile away and try to resolve the issues and the challenges that people here in my own community are facing. Um, so I really, really firmly believe that it, it's something that comes from inside first and then also develops outside. So if you happen to be in an international environment, then make the most of it. If you if you are not in an international environment, but you feel passionately about international issues, there are many ways in which you can start to develop that international skill set, that international way of looking at things. Um, and it can also begin by using your own phone or your own television at home or looking online for things that you might be interested in. I happened to do that itself, myself when I was in, in South America, looking, for example, at international programs or even talking to people who were in other parts of the world. It's even easier now online. So you can, if you happen to be interested in Asia, you can try and find people in Asia who are interested in your own region. And then you can start talking about different aspects. And that way you learn about what's happening in other parts of the world. Well, just one final question for you, Thomas, today, if, if that's okay. When thinking about the role of global education in the future, and um, also considering those two perspectives that you mentioned there, the, the local view and the, the global or the international view or perspective, what is the role of global education at schools in helping people um, to develop uh, core competencies um, as global citizens or as people who want to make a difference to their local environment? So again, I would go back to this word empathy i think it's it's about understanding that different perspectives around the world different ideas around the world are equally important as the ones that we have at home so as such if for example we are members of a global school community and we travel to other parts of the world because we want to you know help a community in a different part of the of the world it's not about imposing our own views or about showing that the way we do things is better than the way they do things it's not even about um, dividing everything between us and them. It's really about understanding that we're all part of a wider community and that as part of that wider community, there are very different, but equally um, respectable and respectful and equally valid ways of viewing at the challenges that we're all facing locally, but also internationally. So it's about reciprocity. It's about maybe showing what you have learned in your own life, in your own school, in your own global community, global school community. But it's also about learning from other perspectives in other parts of the world. And there's one, and now that I'm talking about other, there is one book and one theory that, I, that has really helped me a lot. And if you allow me, I would very briefly talk about it. And that is about a, a Polish reporter who has died but he was very important in the in the 80s he was called Richard Kapuczynski um, any journalist actually knows about Richard Kapuczynski and he really wrote, wrote a lot about the other about otherness about really trying to comprehend other cultures around the world because at the same time that would help you to understand your own um, and about how you deal with the other um, that's how it's translated and that really helped me a lot in my 
early career as a journalist to to feel that empathy that I'm talking about, to understand that maybe I come from a privileged background, from a also white privileged background, and that yes, I can engage in different discussions and in and in different um, possibilities of how to resolve issues around the world, but that my view is under no circumstance better or more valid than the view that we can face in other parts of the world and that as such I can teach but I can also learn that I should maybe teach or at least show but that I should also be always in a capacity to further my understanding and to learn as much as possible and that is something that I think kids can really learn from a very early age when they're exposed to an international environment that idea that our view is not better than anyone else's view and that if we show empathy and we show respect, we can both teach other people from our own perspective, but we can also learn from them. And that way, we and they can also enhance the way that the world is understood. Thomas, what better way to finish than on, a, on, a, on an author recommendation? Um, I, I might even push, for example, uh, Travels with Herodotus by Kapuscinski, definitely one of my favorites, where that exploration of other through literature um, and experience simultaneously is really, really well documented. Thomas, thank you so, so very much for your time um, and your enthusiasm for this subject. It's always a real pleasure to speak with you. Um, I look forward to catching up with you very, very soon. And to our audience, thank you very much for tuning in. I hope you'll be able to join me soon for our next podcast. Thank you again and goodbye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Felstead Talks podcast series. We hope you enjoyed it. Our next episode is coming out soon, so don't forget to follow and subscribe so you can stay in touch. 